Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day, for this opportunity we have to come together to worship you, to, to bring you our, our praise, our thanksgiving, our requests, and Lord, just to uh, adore you for who you are. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would be with us as we uh, open your word and uh, attempt to have a, a deeper understanding of the way in which you have saved us. Um, Lord, as we consider the change that you have made in our hearts uh, to make us people who, rather than rebelling against you, uh, will willingly go to you. Um, Lord, it is truly a, a supernatural work. Um, and God, we just praise you and thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would we would have a better understanding of that, that it would impact our lives, that we would live our lives in light of the knowledge that uh, we are different people, uh, that we have be, become new creatures. Uh, and Lord, just that you would continue to, to change us and to glorify yourself through us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We are continuing our study on the application of redemption. <clears throat> last week, uh, Ben taught on effectual calling. Can anybody tell me what effectual calling is? Regeneration. That's what we're going to talk about this morning is regeneration. And effectual calling and regeneration are very tied to each other. So, how would we define regeneration? Does any have, anybody have any idea before we dive into the study? I mean, it's, it's a word we use, right, in Christian circles. What does it mean? How would we describe regeneration? God changes a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, a biblical picture of regeneration. That we're going to look at that. Um, Being born again. Being born again. Yeah, that's another biblical picture of that. That's probably the most common one. So, um, here's the here's the definition I have. Um, regeneration is an act of God's Spirit by which He raises us from spiritual death to spiritual life, so that we are born again not by our own efforts or wills, but by the sovereign will of God, and so are made new creatures whose natural inclinations are to love and obey God. That's hopefully encapsulating the, the major points there of regeneration. Um, and if we think of uh, the illustration, uh, I know that Ben gave last week, of <coughs> Jesus calling Lazarus from the dead, um, that's uh, that's I think a good way to introduce the idea of like how are effectual calling and regeneration related because we can see that in that picture so um, and that uh, the effectual call is the word spoken by Jesus Jesus is calling Lazarus forth he says Lazarus come forth and regeneration 
is the new life that Lazarus experienced. So it's, it's the, I mean, they're, they're linked so closely that, that sometimes they're spoken of as being identical. Uh, I think it's helpful to distinguish the call and the power contained in that call, but they're, they're that closely related where um, when we talk about effectual calling, we are speaking of the Father calling us um, into fellowship with His Son, calling us to salvation. And that that word has power, but the power of the word is regeneration. That's where uh, we are made uh, new creatures um, and are enabled to respond to the call. Therefore, it is effectual. Um, the word regeneration is actually only used twice in the New Testament, um, and only once in the sense that we're using it this morning. Uh, it is, however, a concept that appears numerous times throughout the Bible, uh, and we simply use regeneration as a convenient designation uh, to talk about that idea. So, uh, the first uh, picture of it that we're going to talk about is the new birth. That's perhaps the, the most familiar way of speaking uh, about this terminology. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's already been mentioned this morning because I was asking you guys for a definition. Um, being born again, um, perhaps the the most well-known passage utilizing this language is John chapter three. I know that, that Ben spent a little bit of time uh, here last time, but we're gonna we're gonna spend a little bit more time in John chapter three because um, it really is kind of the well-known passage on uh, on the new birth. So John chapter 3, and I'm just going to read uh, verses 1 through 8 just to, just to give you the, pretty much the full context here. So John 3, starting at verse 1. Uh, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, uh, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <clears throat> All right. So now it's time for some questions. So in verse 3, uh, where Jesus introduces the idea of being born again, what does he say about the condition of mankind? Well, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Right. So he's speaking about an inability of man, right? Right. That man in his natural state is incapable of even seeing the kingdom of God until this change takes place, right? Um, so what, what must happen, right? I mean, 
guess I kind of already answered that, but what must happen in order for the person to see the kingdom of God? Unless one is born of water or the spirit, one can't enter the kingdom of God. I'm sorry? Unless one is born of water or the spirit, one can't enter the kingdom of God. Okay. Yeah. So basically the idea that you have to be born again um, to enter the kingdom of God. Um, so is this a is this a physical birth? I mean that was Nicodemus's mistake, right? He's like, I don't, I don't get this. How does this work? How can I, how can I be physically born again? Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. Um, who performs this operation? Spirit. What's that? The spirit. The spirit. Yeah, that's what we see in verse six, right? That which is born of the Spirit, the Spirit. So it's the it's the Holy Spirit who performs this operation. And we talked about in our first lesson that like um, the application of redemption is primarily the work of the Spirit, but we will see other members of the Trinity involved. And so like last week we saw that um, it's the Father who gives the effectual call. Uh, this week we see with effectual or with with regeneration that it is specifically uh, the Spirit who is doing the regenerating. Um, does the Spirit grant the new birth in response to some action on our part? No. no? Can you can you give me a textual reason for thinking that? <laughs> in in this passage. Okay. It's uh it's verse eight. <coughs> says where, you know, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. So it's essentially saying, you know, the Spirit um, does what it does, and, you know, goes where it goes where it Yeah, yeah, it's, it's according to the sovereign will of the Spirit, right? Just, just like the wind blows wherever it wants to, you know, we can't, we can't tell the wind, oh, Blow over here instead of blow over there. It's it's, it's just going to do what it wants to do. Um, the same is true of the spirit. The spirit regenerates where he wishes. It's there's no condition set forth. Uh, Jesus is not telling Nicodemus, okay, so you need to be born again. So here's the steps you need to go through to get born again. Um, he's saying, look, it's it's like the wind. It, it blows where it wants to. Um, that's the way it works. Um, can you see it happen with your eyes? No. No? No? It's like, just like the wind. It's like, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You can't, you can't see the wind. Can you see the result of it? Like on a windy day in Kansas, you know, you look out, you see the trees swaying, you see, you know, leaves blowing around, stuff like that. Um, how does that work with the Holy Spirit? It's not necessarily laid out in this text, but we see the fruit of that. Yeah, we see the fruit of that. It changes a person, right? They start behaving differently. Um, so we can see um, the result of regeneration even though we can't actually see it happen itself. And, and even specifically, love. Mm-hmm. How they see 
God changes people's hearts. You know, we see that in Ephesians 1 and John mm-hmm. 13, that that's the mark of, mm-hmm. of a Christian, is that love. Yes. Yeah, we see people love. And that actually segues pretty nicely. Um, the Apostle John spoke extensively of the new birth in his first epistle. Um, one of his primary concerns was to give his readers uh, assurance that they belong to God. Um, you find that, I don't remember exactly where, I think chapter 5 somewhere, um, where he says that that's the reason he's writing to them. Um, but in order to do so, he gave them a number of criteria to determine whether or not a person is born of God. That's the, you know, the the essence of, of what he's doing in that letter is like saying, look, here's how you can know if a person is born of God. And he uses this language of being born of God um, over and over in, in his epistle. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, he says, If you know that he, that is God, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So there we see our, uh, the idea there, being born of him, being born of God. Um, so why does he begin the uh, this statement with if? It's got the word if there. What's the purpose of that? Is he making some type of argument? It would, I mean, it implies that not everybody knows that he is right. It's not everybody has the awareness which would go back to call, not everyone has been called to know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So there is there is a, a distinction, a delineation in yes. humanity there. Okay. Um, is there any other um, anything further as far as like why he why he structures his his sentence this way? I mean, is it the sense of that that would be the result of that? I mean, that if you see this, that would be a sign that that person was born again. Okay, yeah, uh huh. Um, he's got a certain force to his argument. Um, He's actually, I guess the way I would describe it is he is basically saying, look, this follows. Like, if we look at at God, God is righteous. Okay, so what would you expect to be the case for somebody who's born of God? Right? They're They're going to be people who practice righteousness. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the idea, is that um, he's using the fact that God is righteousness as an argument, uh, that God is righteous as an argument, that um, if somebody's born of God, well, then they, it would just follow, they would be righteous as well. That makes sense? All right. Um... The next time he uses it is in chapter 3, uh, verse 9. 
He says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So what can we learn about being born of God from this verse? You don't make a practice of sinning. Yeah, you don't make a practice of sinning. He even goes on to say, cannot Mm -hmm. make a practice of sinning. Mm -hmm. What's the significance of that? Well, you know, if you think... Like the Israelites, it's not exclusive to the Israelites, but they sort of wanted to live with one foot in the world and one foot, you know, following God. Mm -hmm. And and so there wasn't a sense of of repentance of their sin and and walking in that righteousness that we've been talking about, you know, being born. Mm -hmm. And um, and and I I think that uh, an outside observer, if they see that and hear somebody profess to be a Christian, they may think, that God's work is not as complete as what it really is, mm-hmm. you know. But the reality is, is that when God changes a heart, He actually changes a, a heart, mm-hmm. and there's a real change that's there. So there might be those who would profess faith in Christ, and yet they're not really truly changed and, and born mm-hmm. again. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, it it definitely is. It's a it's a supernatural act that God performs. We are uh, truly new people and. Yeah, we can't just keep on practicing sin. Um, it's an impossibility. And that's also a great encouragement, isn't it? Um, it's like as we struggle with sin, we, we know there's there's a supernatural power at work within us that's that's fighting that. Um, obviously, we're not sinless. You know, we we don't we we haven't completely escaped uh, disobeying God's law, um, but. Um, but there's that work in us that's changing us and causing us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And, and Chris, don't you think that um, you know we we could read that and think, yeah, this is what I do or I don't do. You know, I don't I don't sin. But the reality is, no, we still, like you said, mm-hmm. we still struggle with sin. But what we see through our lives is God's faithfulness to continue to convict us of sin, to mm-hmm. call us back to Himself, mm-hmm. and so we're seeing His work. Right. Continue in us, even though we don't deserve that. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't think that that would be the way it is. But you know, just so much talks about his faithfulness, and mm-hmm. and that he will accomplish that which he starts. And mm-hmm. like you said, so it is very encouraging. Yeah, it's kind of like a, um, if you read you know, some of the Puritans, like a, like a, not, um, he wrote um, Bruce Reed, kind of thing. Richard Sips. Yes, Sip. Um, he says, you know, that Christians feel intense, um, like disgust over their sins. It's not. It's like Romans six says, you know, if you think that you can, well, now that I have the gospel, and freedom just continues to out more. You don't understand the gospel. You're grieved over your sin. You can't. You can't continue your sins. It grieves you so much. All right. So. Um, John uses this terminology again in chapter 4, verse 7. There he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So what is the implication for those who have not been born of God here? 
Or let me let me back up and just say, well, I mean, this obvious question is like, well, what does this tell us about those who have been born of God? They have their love. Yeah. They love one another as a direct result of the love of God. Yeah. And they love God. They were once enemies, but now they love God. Mm-hmm. And so, what's the implication for those who have not been born of God? Have none of those yeah. yeah. I mean, they can't. They can't really love. Um, that's a that's a gift from God. First John five one. John here says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God." And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So, what is the relationship between faith in Christ and regeneration? That what is the relationship between faith in Christ and regeneration? I mean, we see both of these concepts here mm-hmm. in this passage. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is uh, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Faith works. Faith works? Yeah, faith if you have faith, you will have works. You will have signs that you mm-hmm. believe. Yeah, that is true. Um, that's more of a, a relationship between uh, faith and sanctification. Um, but specifically with the idea of being born again, this this point um, in time when God changes you. Um, there's actually a, a lot of debate about like how faith is related to that. So well, I mean, if we if we say that it's by when going back to the whole like the wind thing, and it's by the spirit that moves you, then it would have to be somewhat you know happy simultaneously, but more so that this that the spirit regenerates you, and that faith is almost a result of that, mm-hmm. because otherwise the faith would be what had caused that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, because people will want to argue that's like, oh, well, you get born again by having faith. Um, you are regenerated by having faith. Um, but yeah, if we look back at John three, it certainly makes more sense to go the other way. The other way, and if we look at all of these passages we've looked at in First John, hasn't that been the pattern? Mm-hmm. It's like you're born again. Here's the result, right? And First John five one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Really seems like that's the way he's presenting it. Your faith in Christ is a result of you being born again. Right? So, um, it's obviously a very debated uh, within Christianity. Um, but as Reformed Christians, this is this is what we believe the Bible teaches. Um, and this is this is one of the passages that supports that idea. Even in that next sentence, that too, it says, whoever, everyone who loves the Father, right, loves whoever has been born of him. Like, you can't, you know, you 
can't love the Father if you're not regenerate yet. Mm-hmm. You don't have faith yet. You can't love your neighbor really truly if you haven't loved the Father. You know what I mean? It's kind of close right after the other. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they all go together. Um, and yeah, that was. I mean, my next question is, what is true of people who love God and the Father, right? No, that's that's fine. He's a prophet. Yeah. I mean, it was obvious that's where we were going. So, I mean, right? They they love Christians. Um, what if you encounter somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I serve God. I love God, but I just can't stand Christians. I don't go to church. I don't. I don't have anything to do with other Christians. What should we think of that? That something doesn't add up. So if there's mm-hmm. either not truly that faith, or there is a sense of if there's a sense of struggle there, maybe it's right. struggling in their sin. But if right. it's just a blatant thing, then mm-hmm. there's not that fruit there. Right. Right. Yeah. It certainly would, you know. Honestly, a question, you know, the, their salvation. You know, it, can you really have assurance if you're, if you're hating all the brothers? You know, he's like, oh, I love God, I'm saved, but you hate all Christians. It's like, well, that's, that's, it doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't give a lot of assurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, let's see, First John five four, just a few verses later. Uh, it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So what else is true of people who are born of God? It's a nice, easy question. That's right, they overcome the world. And again, it gives us great encouragement. Um, the world is... In a sense, no match for us. Not because of anything in us, but because of him who saved us. So there's a little look at, um, again, the most commonly um, used uh, terminology for regeneration. Just the idea of being born again. There's um, some other places that talk about it. We may look at another one. Uh, a bit later, but for now, um, let's move on to another idea here. Um, it's the idea of um, the regeneration is is presented uh, with the idea of moving from spiritual death to spiritual life. Um, Ephesians chapter two. I'm just going to read the first. Um, five verses here just to get some context. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, there we see just the idea of uh, we were dead, but we were made alive. So, Paul 
spends a little bit of time on our state beforehand. What, what does he tell us about um, what our state is when we're dead in sin? So, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, uh, it's, I mean, very much following after uh, sinful desires and worldly things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, seems to say that that's like the universal, universal condition of man, right? Apart from regeneration. Um, could we choose to make ourselves alive? I mean, just if you think of the analogy, that doesn't make any sense, right? In fact, I mean, if you go back to our previous analogy, being born again, do people choose to be born? No. You don't have any choice in that. If you're dead and you're made alive, you don't have any choice in that. Well, in the first three verses, the emphasis is on you and you and you and you. You know, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You followed this. You did this. And that in verse four, it's a different object that he mm-hmm. wants to talk about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's 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 God who steps in and changes yeah. things. Yeah. Um. Did God wait uh, for us to overcome our state, our state of spiritual death? He couldn't have, because we were unable to. Right. Right. We were not mostly dead. We were all the way dead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Indeed. Yeah. Um, it specifically says here um, in verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. So. He definitely stepped in there um, and did it before we could do anything for ourselves. Um, it is definitely all of grace. Um, Titus 3.5, uh, the passage that specifically uses our term uh, regeneration, um, definitely makes this very clear. Titus 3.5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's not by what? Our works. Not by works. Not by by anything that we do. But it's according to what? His mercy. His mercy. And who is it that regenerates us? The Holy Spirit, yeah. Again, another confirmation of what we saw in John 3 there. So it's God's gracious work toward us. We're dead in our sins. We're incapable. We are um, just doing our own thing, following the course of this world. Um, And God steps in because of his great mercy and saves us. He regenerates us. He gives us new life. Another picture we have is that of the new creation. Um, it's used a few times. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come." 
So how is this changed characterized? Well, we've already seen that we're not able to continue on sinning, and that's mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah. Well, the, the old has passed away. It's another. Uh, we are dead in our trespasses, but that I mean, it's another reference of death. Of mm-hmm. we're no longer even in that state. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a complete change, right? It's not a not a superficial change. Um. I know this has been answered, but I mean, does, is it just something new coming in to supplement what we were before? It's a replacement. Yeah, it's a replacement. The old passed away, right? Yeah. What's the implication of this? What's there should be big Sorry, say that again. I said there should be a 180 there. Yeah. Yeah, our our lives should reflect this drastic change that has happened to us. Matthew uh, chapter 7, it's not specifically using any of our terminology here, um, but it, it does carry the idea... Matthew chapter 7, uh, looking at verses uh, 15 through 20. Uh, There Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Sorry, I can't read this morning. Um, So, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, uh, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruits. So how does that relate to what we've been talking about? We have to be able to see the change, but we have to... It can't be something that everyone's shocked and surprised to find out later that <laughs> there's been this change. Yeah. yeah. And, and certain certain natures or characteristics have certain fruit. Mm-hmm. And so you actually can tell the, the, the nature to a certain degree mm-hmm. by, by looking at the fruit as right. well. Right. Yeah, it's, it really is just it's, it, it requires a completely different nature to produce good fruit. You just can't take a rotten tree and get good fruit out of it. It just doesn't work that way. The nature has to be changed. I really like Paul Tripp's illustration of this. He said, you know, if you went out and you had a tree that was dead, he said, you can't just staple on mm-hmm. apples on that tree and say, that's an apple tree. Right. He said, but that's what Christians often try, mm-hmm. try to do. We try to take and staple on external mm-hmm. things. He says, but that fruit has to come from within mm-hmm. the tree, you know. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Yeah, that's that's a that's a an excellent illustration. That's I mean that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Um, Paul also presents this idea um, in opposition to physical circumcision um, in Galatians six fifteen. Galatians six fifteen. He says, 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So, so why do neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything? I guess I'm kind of, depending on you, being familiar with Galatians, or at least making inferences from what we're talking about here. But um, I'll say, so circumcision was the physical sign of God's people, mm-hmm. and so it's saying it's not something external that can be done to a person to save them. The fruit has to come from within. Well, it's not something you're born into either. Yeah. Along with that, too. If it's something that we've got as people, a lot of them assume I've got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you've got this physical circumcision. It's just, a, it's just a, an outward sign of something, right? It's not the inward reality. Um, but the new creation that's the inward reality um, and you know and, and God talks about the circumcision of the heart um, that's the inward reality that's um, that, that's the important thing there so we've got new birth we've got death to life We've got new creation. All of these are things that we don't do. Things that God does to us. Now, we've kind of talked about this as we've gone through, but the the Bible gets more explicit um, on the change of inclinations, uh, the change of disposition. Um... Here, look at some passages um, from the Old Testament. Uh, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. So, what's the picture here? Again, that God's doing that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that it was always, it, it was never the, even though the physical sign of God's people was circumcision, even though they were so part of God's people, it was still, it, it was always a, uh, God had to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Person. There's still, if there was no fruit, if that circumcision of the heart never happened, mm-hmm. it needed the inward transformation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. You kind of answered half my questions here, so. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, I mean, (coughs) the inward reality has to be there. Um, It has to be a circumcision of the heart. The the physical circumcision outwardly was just a sign. Um, So, um, one thing that's an interesting question, because we've been talking about, like, the fruit. Um, What is the relationship between regeneration and sanctification? Thoughts? 
sanctification. Sanctification is not possible without regeneration. Mm -hmm. Regeneration makes it possible. Sanctification is God's work in us to produce the fruit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Any any other thoughts? It's kind of what you were saying. I mean, using the fruit analogy and everything, but that those apples came from the tree in Trip's illustration. Like it's that life in the tree that actually produces the fruit. Um, and it, it will produce the fruit if it's in there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all uh, the fruit is definitely comes from it. Mm-hmm. It's a direct result of it. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. I mean, I I think a good way to look at it is that like regeneration is kind of the starting point of sanctification. It's it's the it's I mean it is frequently referred to as kind of the ground of our sanctification it's like it's we are because we're new creatures then we should be living uh, different lives and we will be living different lives um, so um, we don't want to get them confused um, because this is a kind of I mean this is we're in the midst of like an instantaneous moment of, of a person's salvation eventually we'll get to their progressing life um, where we will see sanctification uh, but this is something, you know, this is an instantaneous change that happens. But it's an instantaneous change that has ongoing results. It has effects that that go forth into the entire Christian life. And Chris, I think that where, where this stuff sort of hits the road, mm-hmm. rubber meets the road, is just the fact that you're going to have people who are going to profess faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for us... I mean, I think the thing that with salvation that oftentimes is so confusing for us in the church today is that we want to go based on what people have said. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that salvation is is a, is a work of the Holy Spirit, and and when He does it, He really does it. You know, when people profess it, they could be deceived, they could you know not understand. You mm-hmm. know, so so there could be some duplicity there. But when mm-hmm. the Spirit works, He works, and there is actually something that's done. Mm-hmm. But for us, we can't always see that and we always can't discern those things so this is where these things are helpful so if you see a person who says I'm a believer and yet there's no growth there's no sanctification right. and you you know it doesn't mean you just give up on them and say forget it you, you do everything you can to seek to cultivate that mm-hmm. you know but if it doesn't happen mm-hmm. then you have to say you know evidently there was no work of the spirit right. of God in their heart right so it's, it's very I think it very much is helpful for us in the church to think about these things. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because sanctification necessarily will follow yes. regeneration. Just like I mean, all of these things we're talking about um, will necessarily follow. I, I know that like Ben last week, you know, went through Romans eight again, you know, and just like these things necessarily follow. It always it always leads to glorification. Um, so things will follow, and if we don't see sanctification, then that raises questions. Well, was there regeneration? No. I think it's also a help to what uh, <coughs> we discussed. Uh, ben was giving his, uh, his lesson. Um, it's kind of like a helpful pillow, you know, um, to, to trust in. To, um, 
Um, so you know, when it says we went through uh, Romans 8 again, it necessarily will follow. Mm-hmm. It's all, it can also be a comfort to the Christian too to know that yes, sanctification is also, you know, it's not also just purely my effort. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's also monergistic too. God will do this in you. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's definitely hard. Like we've had a lot of conversations this week with our kids about them trying to figure out what it takes to be a Christian, or what. How do you? Can you tell somebody? We were talking about Presbyterian, Joseph Lane, all this, and they were like, "So anybody who's not in our denomination is not a Christian." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. like, back up. That's not what we're saying." And, and we have family members who are in different denominations, and they're like, they they go to a bad church. And so we were kind of trying to talk through things, and we're like, well, we, we believe different things. We're like, oh, you said there's only one true. And so, you know, there's mm-hmm. just deciphering all of that. So we were talking about what does it take, I mean, even just outside, we were waiting on frustrated finish yesterday. We were talking about, like, well, what does it take to be a Christian? And, and you know, one of my kids is like, well, prayer and going to church and going, you know, and all of these things. And so we kind of had to separate that, and like, it's, it's, hard sometimes especially in like in kids minds but I think even in our minds when we're looking at the practical application to divide them a little bit and understand that one's the result of the other it's not what does it yeah yeah that's a that's a good point and it's that's that's one of the uh, one of the difficult things is like figuring out it's like what's where is the the demarcation between you know it's like this is where Christian brothers differ but are they're still they're still part of the same family and this puts you outside of the pale as it were so but yeah that's a it's a difficult <laughs> a difficult little thing to, to deal with especially with kids so um, Ezekiel um, also um, gives us a, a little bit of stuff about uh, the, the change in inclination and dis- disposition um, with regeneration. So Ezekiel 36. And we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. Ezekiel 36:25-27. He says, "I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you." And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and excuse me, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we've got a couple of pictures here. What's the first picture? I'm sorry, you're going to have to speak up. No, you're fine. Sorry, I'm thinking it out. and I have a verbal <laughs> processor. Um, no, but the fact that he has cleansed mm. us. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's cleansed us, right? There's there's the washing, the cleansing. The, yeah. Well, ben? That's specifically the sprinkling, which kind of has the imagery of the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Sprinkling the blood on the altar. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very tied to the, the whole sacrificial system, for sure. But yeah, we, so we have the picture of cleansing. Um, what about, what's, the, what's the, the second picture that he has here? It was actually mentioned, I think, by Ryan early in the lesson. So. 
replacing the heart of stone mm -hmm. with heart of flesh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just the idea is that, I mean, obviously, you know, we have a flesh heart, but just imagining that it's, you know, that it's made of stone, it's hard, it's, it's, it's not at all receptive to the, to the things of God, to the law of God. Um, and that is removed and replaced with a heart of flesh, heart that is as it should be, as God created us. And then what's the promise in verse 27? Well, like you said, it's not a one-time occurrence. It's he will put his spirit within you, mm -hmm. and there will be this outworking. It's a continuation of this relationship. It's not just mm -hmm. an overnight thing. Yeah, so it's it's the spirit being placed within the believer. And then what, what does the spirit do there? cause you to walk in my statutes mm -hmm. and be careful to obey my rules. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 truly a transformative thing, right? It it really changes us and causes us to live in a way that is different. Um, I know in the first lesson we talked about that different aspects, you know, some of them are more transformative and some of them are more judicial or legal. And this is very much a transformative thing. We are being changed. We are being given new natures, like you know, a tree that can produce fruit, a, a heart of flesh that can respond to God. What's well, interesting? I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about Corinthians, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and as he talks about, you know, the natural man cannot understand mm -hmm. the things of the spirit, mm -hmm. you know, but but he has given us a new spirit, mm -hmm. so that as the spirit of God dwells within us, and we can understand mm -hmm. that, yep. we, we can obey that. Yeah, and that's so, that's exactly the same thing. It's 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 the work of the spirit, yeah. taking us from a state where the the things of God are just foolishness to us, and changing it so that it's wisdom to us. It's that's the wisdom of God. That's it makes so much sense to us, um, not because I guess one one thing I, li I like to point out it's not because something nonsensical some, some, somehow becomes you know where it is sensible. It's because that's what was sensible all along, mm -hmm. but we were blinded by our own sin mm -hmm. to not understand logic properly. And when the Holy Spirit comes and changes us. He opens our eyes to be able to actually see correctly. So, but yeah, very good point. And one final thing I want to look at just a little bit. Um, I guess before I do, just any questions about that? That's kind of like an overview of regeneration and kind of the different ways that the scripture talks about it. Any comments or questions about any of that? Well, just in the last few minutes we have, I do want to revisit the the controversy of the relationship between um, regeneration and faith. Um, just because um, those who are not reformed, uh, sometimes referred to as Arminians, um, will want to place regeneration as the result of faith. Um, and one of the passages that they refer to actually uses the the terms of of, of new birth um, so it's it's definitely worth looking at so this is in John chapter 1 John chapter 1 and um, 
just to just to give the full context, well, not the full context, but a fuller context, um, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll look at verses 11 through 13. So John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13 it says, "He came to his own." Speaking of Jesus here, he came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now here, um, we see again um, the idea that it's the sovereign work of the Spirit, right? It's not... Uh, it's not of blood, it's not of the will of the flesh, it's not of the will of man, but it's of God that we're born again. Now, frequently when this is cited, um, people will drop off verse 13 um, when they're attempting to, to present their point. Um, and they focus in on verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then they'll focus in on that. It's like, oh, well, that's how you become children of God, is by faith. Does anybody know what the problem is with that? Other than the fact that they're ignoring verse 13? <laughs> it, it takes away the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. it, it, it makes it so that he doesn't have a choice or he, he has mm -hmm. no power over any of this. And he's kind of just sitting there waiting for us going, well, I hope they come. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, it's that also is kind true. of funny when you think about it as receiving. I mean, I can't think of too many. Maybe I'm not thinking properly, but I don't can't think of too many situations where there really is this whole choice of receiving. Someone gives you a gift, and you're not like, mm, maybe I'll take it, maybe I won't. I mean, mm -hmm. you, that's not typically how we right. use that, and so it is usually something that is completely gifted to you, sure, something yeah. that's handed over, versus like, well. I like you enough, I guess I'll take your birthday gift from me. You know, like, I mean, it's just kind of a funny concept to think of it as being right. something where they choose that. Right. Yeah, yep, that's a good point as well. Usually if it's like, we're receiving something, it's, it's, there's no there's no credit to us. Right. <laughs> right? We don't look the gift portion of the mouth, generally, honestly. We generally don't look at the gift portion of the mouth, yeah. anyways. Yeah, that's true. That is true. There's something else I'm looking at here. Anybody, anybody else spot it? I don't know. I've, I spent some time thinking about this, so I'm not necessarily expecting you guys to pick up on it right here. But nobody's jumping up, so I'm going to tell you. I think it's a mistake to look at verse 12 and think that that's talking about regeneration when it talks about becoming children of God. Yeah. I, I think the 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 fact that we so closely associate the idea of being a child and being born is kind of where it causes confusion. But as we look through the application of redemption in the coming weeks, we'll see that the idea of us being a child of God is not an idea that's tied to regeneration. It's an idea that's tied to adoption. It's not becoming a child of God by birth. It's coming, becoming a child of God by adoption. That's the consistent usage in Scripture. Um, and so we need to try not to get those things confused, um, because yes, we're born of God, but that's what that's what, that's the new birth, that's regeneration. And yes, we're children of God, but that's God adopting us into His family. Um, and I think if we just look at this and we say, okay, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave 
the right to become children of God. In other words, he adopted them. Yes, that comes as a result of our faith in Christ. But then there's the clarification, and we say, well, where does regeneration fit in here? And John says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So once he introduces regeneration in there, all human activity, even faith in Christ, is set aside. Right? And it's almost like that's presented as the grounds for our receiving Christ. Does that make sense? So somebody says, well, I can prove that, you know, that faith precedes regeneration and they take you here, then think through that and hopefully that will be helpful. And uh, again, that's just, again, this is very consistent with what we saw in 1 John 5.1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Um, that's, that's the idea, that it's you're born of God, and as a result of that, you put your faith in Christ. So, any final questions or comments? All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, truly, you are you are sovereign. Um, it is completely out of our hands, um, and God, we uh, really are so humbled that you have in your great mercy chosen to save us that you have called us to yourself that you have uh, given us new life um, and that while we were while we were dead in our sins while we were rebellious to you while our hearts were hard and made of stone uh, God you have changed us and not just saved us so that we do not receive your wrath though you have done that but you have changed us so that we become people who walk in your ways, who follow your laws. And God, I just pray that you would continue to shower that grace on us, that we would be people who obey you, people who serve you as we ought, that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And Lord, I pray that you be with us as we continue to worship you this morning, uh, that your name would be exalted. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.